there's just some things in life that are just ironic. There's just some things in life that just tickle you. I was sitting backstage just now laughing as I was having a flashback to my childhood. So I grew up in that childhood where I was kind of in the middle of Hair Nation and the alternative craze. So probably till about my freshman year was the uh, 80s rock was popular in the last three years is when Nirvana, Pearl Jam came in. But I remember in middle school, I know none of you were this cool, but um, you know, my parents let me grow my hair out and I have very curly hair. So my hair didn't grow down, it grew out. Um, I didn't have a rat tail, I had a pigtail because it would curl up. But I don't know if anybody remembers this, but you know, back then where I grew up, it was cool. You had a black leather jacket and then you got a denim jacket that you cut the sleeves off of and you would wear that over your black leather jacket and you would put patches on the jacket of all of the bands that you were into. So I had this jacket and it had ACDC on it, it had Metallica on it, it had Judas Priest on it. And I remember I didn't grow up in church. In about eighth or ninth grade, my parents started going to church. And uh, we went to this church, and they were going to have a special movie night thing for parents and teenagers. And we went to it, and it was an entire documentary on the evils of rock and roll. <laughs> and, uh, and I remember specifically going home and my mom making me take off all these patches to off my uh, jacket. Matter of fact, when it was all said and done, I got to keep one patch on my jacket, and that was the Striper patch. I don't know if you remember Striper. They were like the Christian rock band. And uh, I remember specifically, I had a Judas Priest. I can close my eyes and tell you the Judas Priest patch was right here. And so I just couldn't help but start laughing backstage, saying, I remember when I grew up in church, they preached against Judas Priest. Now I pastor a church where they play Judas Priest. <laughs> So, the minister of rock, most churches have a worship pastor, we have the minister of rock, Phil, and uh, man, I'm thankful for that. It was just funny. Today's going to be a little bit different, so um, if you come to this church long, you might not know this about me, I literally write my sermons out word for word. So they're in my Bible, all the way down to my greeting, Hello Action Church, it's written right there. I normally come up here with six or seven pages of notes. And I, I hope I don't look at them a lot. I just kind of feel like that helps me write out my thoughts and articulate what I've got doing. And I couldn't do that this week. I kept trying to write down thoughts. And all I could write down was an idea that I had. And, and that's a dangerous thing because he, a lot of times I'll have an idea. And the idea will be a great devotional. Meaning, man, it would be great for about a three-minute talk to turn it into a 30-minute and 45-minute um, sermon is a little bit hard, and so I couldn't get this to develop, so I really just have one page of notes today, and um, I have a thought. I don't know if the thought's going to make sense. Um, I even used this thought as an excuse yesterday. You'll appreciate this, those of you that know my lack of physical labor skills. Yesterday, my father-in-law moved. Um, how about this? How about my father-in-law? How many of you know who my father-in-law is? Everybody knows who my father-in-law. How about they moved into like a suburbanite neighborhood? Like with golf carts and like uh, sodded yards and like neighbors. How would you like to live in that neighborhood? Now you, 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 first of all, you meet Heather and you're like, man, this is awesome. 
We've got some awesome new neighbors meeting. You, you meet John, you're like, oh, the military kid. And you meet Brandon, you're like, oh, the guy looks like Paul Walker, man. I mean, like, like this is going to be great. Like, great neighbor. And then you meet Rick. <laughs> you know? And uh, it, just, it just tickles me. It just makes me laugh. But I even used that as an excuse yesterday. Like, hey, I got to get out of here and really go try to develop this sermon. I really have got to figure out how to put some credence to this sermon because at the end of the day, I don't know that I can get past 10 minutes in the sermon and I just couldn't get the thought to elaborate. So I'm going to give you the thought today. There's a real good chance the sermon will be 10 minutes today. There's a real good chance the sermon might be an hour and full of rabbit trails. I'm just going to go off the cuff today. And I want to share with you this thought that I have as we've been talking about the dash. That simple little line that goes between the day you were born and the day you die. That simple little thing that if you're not careful, you'll overlook very, very quickly. But at the end of the day, at the end of your life, everything that you accomplish, everything that you do, good, bad, indifferent, whatever you do, the highs and the lows, everything you win, everything you lose, everything you gain, everything that gets lost, everything gets summed up in a dash, who you are, what you are, who you impact, what you accomplish, how you leave the world, the biggest thing that you are, your life, gets minimized to a dash, a freaking dash. The Bible says in James 4.14, Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're simply a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. This week, I'll do a funeral for someone in our church's brother who got on their motorcycle to drive home and never in a million years thought, man, that will be their life and it will be over. This amazing gift called life can be taken away at any second and yet we fail to live it to the fullest. We live life scared. We live life fearful. We live life not willing to take the risk. Well, what if I fail? Who cares? You know the amazing thing about failure is it's not fatal. You live, you might lose everything. Christine and I are talking about a very big move in our life here. And we were talking today, and she hates when I do this, but I do it all the time. I said, well, here's the deal. Let's look at the worst case scenario. Okay. Because I'm just big. Let's look. What's the worst thing that can happen? The worst thing that can happen is we lose everything. You say, that's huge. Is it? There's been many times in life that I had nothing and ended up with something. If we fail at this endeavor, no one dies. There's nothing we can't rebound from. It's just life. There's not a, let's ask the question. How many of you here today at one time in your life over the course of your dash to this point, 
has had to start over. Holy smokes, leave your hands up. Look over, look around. Maybe you had to start over in marriage. Maybe you had to start over in your career. Maybe you had to start over financially. Maybe you are like me and you had to start over in every single thing there is. Not once, not twice, not three times, about 50 times because you're stupid and you just keep messing up. Maybe you invested in something that you thought was a sure thing, only to lose everything. Maybe you put your heart and soul into an industry, hello, COVID, and it's gone. It's just life. It happens. It's part of the dash. There's nobody who wakes up. Matter of fact, I, I actually would like to do this. Christine and I were talking the other day about a couple I know, and then she was talking about a couple she knew. Everyone knows that one couple that dated since they were in middle school, and then you got on Facebook, and you're like, holy crap, they're married and have three or four kids now, and like they're still together? I've always wanted to message those people and be like, hey, it seems like, man, life just went plan A all the way. And I know that I know with everything in me, if I send that message, they'd be like, no, you just don't know. There was a plan B here and a plan C here. Yeah, we're still together, but man, we lost our business over here and did this over here. I meant to do that this week and actually forgot about it. Because the reality is there's nobody who lays out their life and it goes exactly in every area like they planned. Matter of fact, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. I think it's one of the biggest things that we're guilty of. Hey, God, I want you to get involved in what I'm doing. Hey, God, I got this idea. We want you to be, hey, God, open this door when our prayer life ought to be. Hey, God, help me get involved in what you're doing. God, instead of opening up this door, why don't you show me the door that you're already opening? I'm real bad about doing this. Hey, God, I don't need you to open the door. I've already opened it. If you ain't down, just shut it. You say, what's the difference? There's a huge difference. And God has shut some doors in my life. And God has not shut some doors in my life and let me screw up along the way. We're so worried about God getting involved in our lives instead of us getting involved in God's lives. The church is guilty of that. Here's what we're going to do instead of realizing where God's moving. That's why we've started ministries around here, done them for a few years, quit doing them. I think actually if there's one of the things that Action Church does really, really well is we kind of look at the landscape and see where God's moving. Nothing is a sacred cow around here. We'll cut anything out quickly if we don't feel like God's moving in that area any longer. The Bible talks about Ecclesiastes for such a time as this. There's certain times God's moving in certain areas. So I said all that to say this. We have been looking at making the most of our dash. Capitalizing on the dash. And I've been giving you some things that we need to implement into our life. And I'm telling you today, these are things that will change your life if you implement these things. I'm smoking what I'm selling when it comes to this series. This is one of those series that I believe, I, I believe in every series I do because I believe they're based on the Bible. 
but there's just some things that I'm a little bit more passionate about. And, and the first week we talked about we have to live life passionately. Life is too short to do things you're not passionate about. Life is too short to go through the motions. Life is too short not to take risks. Life is too short not to chase the lion. You say, what's chase the lion? Maybe I'll preach that message in a couple of weeks. It's one of my messages that we talked about around here, and you've got to go after that lion. The second week we talked about you have to love completely. You can't live if you don't love. You can't live if you don't love. And that means completely loving. God says, I want you to love me with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He says, I want you to love your neighbors as yourself. There's power in loving people. We talked about the Good Samaritan. There's power in loving people that you don't even agree with. Did you know there's power in loving people that you don't like? Did you know that you can love people and not like people? It's an amazing concept. It's a hard one to live out. There's a lot of people I don't like. There's a lot of people I choose not to do life with, but I'm commanded to love those people. Last week, we talked about learning from your past. There is no teacher as great as the past. There is no teacher as great as success in the past. And there is no teacher as great as failure in the past. We didn't talk about living in your past. We worded that very specifically. We said we want to learn from our past. Today I have this thought, and I actually realized I didn't highlight it in my notes, so I don't know that Xander will have it on the screen. But I want to talk to you about the fourth step in living your dash. We're going to live passionately. Look at Xander. Pimp boy. That man back there. He's a pimp. He just raised my mind. We're going to talk about... <laughs> this is scary. We're going to talk about leveraging your influence. The greatest way you make an impact on this society is leveraging the influence that you have. One of the most powerful things you have is the influence you have. And let me make this very clear to each and every one of you today. There's not a person here today who doesn't have influence. We think that influence only comes from the person standing on stage. Influence only comes from the person in the public eye. Influence only comes from the person who has a, that we see as a following. But every person here has a network. Matter of fact, I read this week that every person has a network of up to about 47 people that are in what they call their web of influence. And every one of those 47 people have a web of influence of 47 people, and 47 people, and 47 people, 47 people. So you influence your 47, and their influence, and your 40, their 47, and those people are influencing those 47. Guess what you can do? You can literally change the world. Jesus changed the world with 11 dudes. We're here today because 11 people, Judas Iscariot, 
goes off the scene. The 11 disciples go out. They begin to preach the gospel. Other people hear about Jesus. They get one to Jesus. They tell other people who are one to Jesus, and the message spreads, and the message spreads. And over 2,000 years later, we're meeting here together, broadcasting all over the world. And influence is being spread. That's the power of influence. Most people, though, don't realize they have influence. And the other group that realizes they have influence don't want to use their influence. <laughs> and here's the unique thing about influence. It's unique to you. What I mean by that is the most unique thing you have is your DNA. There's no other DNA like you. Probably a close second is your influence. There's not a person in here today that has the same web of influence. We all have different friends, different family members. Even a husband and wife have different spheres of influence. Of that 47, they might have 30 of the same people, but those 17 are different because they work different jobs. They have different hobbies where they connect with people. So here's the deal. You have a web of influence that you're able to impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ that I'll never be able to impact with the gospel of Jesus Christ. But you have to leverage your influence. Maybe you went through something horrific. Maybe you went through a death. So you have an influence with people that have struggled or gone through that. Maybe you have a hurt, a habit, a hang-up, some kind of something that has shaped you and molded you, and therefore you're able to impact people that I'll never be able to impact. I'm able to impact people you'll never be able to impact because I have a different influence and a different sphere than you have. Jesus was the ultimate influencer. 2,000 years later, we're here because of the influence he had. That's pretty powerful influence. Everywhere he went, don't miss this. Now, this is where it's going to get a little twisted because all I have is a thought. Everywhere Jesus went, huge crowds of people followed him. If you were to go read the Gospels, that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's the first four books of the New Testament. Those are the four accounts of Jesus' life on earth from four different perspectives. From the perspective of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Everywhere he went, there was large crowds of people. Matter of fact, the Bible says great crowds, large crowds. The Bible says multitudes of people. Matter of fact, so many people that many times people actually got crushed because of the throng of people coming around Jesus. Jesus' influence was growing greatly. Matter of fact, his influence was growing so greatly that other preachers of the word, their followers begin to get jealous. The group of John the Baptist followers came and said, hey, 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 who's this guy on the scene? And old John, being the ultimate leader, said, man, I must decrease. And he must increase. He's the one. John said, this ain't about me. I've just been preaching that he's coming, and now he's here. It's time for me to step back in my influence and lift him up in his influence. Now, here's the catch. Throngs and throngs of people followed Jesus everywhere he went. So the question becomes, why? Why did they follow him? 
because he knew how to harness his influence. Jesus was able to harness the one thing that he could do that nobody else could do. Now, here's something I want to lay out to you. And again, I don't want to get complicated. But here's the, Jesus had a mission on this earth. The Bible says this in Luke uh, 19, I believe it is. It says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. So let me break this down for you. The purpose of Jesus' life was to seek out those who didn't know God and bring them to God. Everything he did was to bring lost into found, to bring outsiders into insiders. He had one goal and one goal only, to make disciples of the living God, to make disciples of his Father, to make followers of him, knowing that he was going to sacrifice his life and pay the penalty for their sin. That was his purpose. Don't miss this. But that's not why the people followed him. They did not follow Jesus because he said, man, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. They followed him because he used his talents and ability to draw people to him. The mission of Jesus was to seek and to save the lost. But why Jesus did what he did was to fulfill that mission. Why he did what he did, though, is what drew people. The large crowds follow Jesus because he calls the blind to see. He made the lame to walk. He raised the dead back to life. He performed miracle after miracle after miracle. That was not his purpose in life. His purpose in life was to seek and to save the lost. But he knew by doing this, the buzz would get started. The people would begin to come. They would come to see what Jesus was doing, and then he could get around to the message of grace. He used his influence. The Bible says in John 6, 2, when a great crowd of people followed him, look what it says, why they followed him, because they saw the signs he had performed by healing the sick. Jesus' purpose, so you can say that which was lost, the reason people followed him, because he went around healing the sick. He went around performing miracles. He taught in a way that they could understand. He did things that connected with them and used his influence. I like how the NLT says this. A huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Jesus used what he had. And here's my question for you today. How are you using your influence to impact the world? There's nobody here today that is making the blind to see. There's nobody here that's making the deaf to hear. There's nobody here that's making the mute to talk. And there's nobody here that's raising the dead back to life. But guess what? You have influence. You have influence in your family because they know you. What miracles are you working? Are you bringing about reconciliation into your family? Or are you bringing about divide into your family? Are you keeping the peace in your family? Or are you creating war in your family? Guess what influence you have? You have influence at your job. 
You think you just cut hair for a living, and God's saying, I'm putting person after person after person in your chair so you have a captive audience where you can speak to those people, where they can talk to you, where you can influence those people. You think, man, I'm just a construction worker, and God says, I put you on that construction site around people who live ungodly lives and have nothing, no interest in the things of God where you can live as an example on how to be a Christ follower in an ungodly world. How are you using your influence? I've said over and over and over and over and over and over and over. The greatest influencer for the gospel of Jesus Christ in Canton, Georgia is not Gary Lamb. It is not the pastor at First Baptist Woodstock. It is not the pastor at First Baptist Canton. It is not the pastor at Revolution Church. It is not the pastor at New Life Church. It is not the pastor of Hillbilly First Millennial King James Only. Women can't wear pants pre-trib. We preach against everything that moves, church. I hate to call him out by name, but I've said this for years. The greatest influencer for the gospel of Jesus Christ in Cherokee County is the CEO of Reformation Brewery, Spencer Nix. I'm not kidding. Christ follower, former pastor, lover of the gospel, who runs a brewery in our community with godly values, who operates his business in a godly manner who operates his business where community can happen, goes out there and operates in honesty, operates in integrity, operates in a biblical way, and I guarantee you he influences more lost people for the gospel by operating in a godly way in the secular world than we as pastors ever operate. They expect it from us. They expect us to go out and spread the gospel. They expect us to go out and live the gospel. What would happen during this time, this time of fear, this time of people being worried, this time of people being stressed about finances, if the church rose up and we handled ourselves in godly manners, not political manners? Did I say that? Yeah, I said it. Well, I believe my political views are biblical-based. So do I. The problem is there's no grace in your truth. Amen. People don't care what you know until they know that you care. And when you begin to care, you begin to influence. You want to change society? You want to change people for the gospel of Jesus Christ start using the influence you have and quit living like a Christian on Sunday mornings 10 to 11.30 and start being a Christ follower Monday through Sunday 24-7 be like the Waffle House baby the Waffle House is open you know crap's serious when the Waffle House closes being a Christian is not a Sunday morning thing if it's a Sunday morning thing, you don't have a relationship with Christ. You have a religion. Let that sink in for a moment. If the only time that you're talking about God or you're living in a godly manner, 
is on Sunday morning, then you have a religion. You have a form of godless. You have something that makes God want to puke. He said, I'd rather you be hot or cold than lukewarm. And if you're lukewarm, I'll spew you out of my mouth. We've got a hypocrisy that is deterring people from the church. You've heard me say on numerous occasions, you might not like me on Sunday morning, then you won't like me Monday through Saturday because I am the same person. You might not like my wife on Sunday morning, then you're not going to like her the rest of the week because she is what she is. There's no pretense. There is no fakeness. We don't play church. It's not, hey, brother and sister, how you doing? Praise God. If I'm telling you you're an idiot on Friday, I'm going to look at you and say, I love you on Sunday, and you're an idiot. And it's amazing the influence that is possible. I'm telling you today in this room is the influence to impact Cherokee County in the ways of the gospel like never before. The problem is we're too scared to use our influence. The problem is we're not concerned enough about humans to use our influence. The problem is we don't want to shove our Jesus down anyone's throat. We'll shove our love of the University of Georgia football team down their throat. Mm. We'll shove our love for our favorite baseball team down their throat. We'll shove our love for our favorite sports team down their throat. We'll shove our love for our favorite political candidate down their throat. But we won't even live the life of a Christ follower where people are drawn to Jesus. Here's what the Bible says. The Bible says when the Son of Man is lifted up, he will draw all men unto him. Our job is not to shove Jesus down their throats. Our job is just to lift up Jesus in everything that we do. That doesn't mean we live our life perfect. That doesn't mean we live our life flawless. Christine and I don't have a perfect marriage, but you know what? We have a Christ-centered marriage, so in the midst of the messing up, Christ is in the center of it. I don't always operate my business, is, and they're not necessarily Christian businesses. That's the last thing we need is a Christian business. But we need some business owners who are going to operate with Christian values. Yeah, they ought to know that you're a Christian not because you had the Jesus fish on your truck. You know what I see when I see a Jesus fish on someone's truck? I ain't using that person. They're probably a crook. Sorry. Ask anybody who's dealt with Christian businesses. They'll tell you it's some of the worst experiences ever. But what would happen if our businesses were influenced by Christ followers? In the book of Acts, they were called people of the way. The way meaning the way of Jesus. What if the people of the way went out and just lived our lives in a godly manner, a godly influence? The problem is we think that makes us weak because we've allowed society to turn Christianity into a bunch of weak people. Hollywood has turned the Christ followers into uh, Ned Flanders on The Simpsons. Googly goo. Those who are Christ followers are made fun of. And so we look at those that are Christ followers as weak instead of looking at them as the barbarians their way. I love in, in the Gospels it says they had to forcefully advance the gospel. The church has lived in persecutions from the time the church was started. There's nothing limp-wristed about the church. 
The church is full of warriors. The church is full of people who are willing to fight. The church is full of people who are willing to stand because we believe in the message of Jesus Christ so strongly. That's why I was so hell-bent on the church gathering back together. I honored our community because the Bible says we're to honor our leaders, but I had set a deadline of June 1st. If they still said we weren't meeting, we were meeting. I applaud the 5,000 churches in California who are rallying together and not following the governor's orders. Good for them because there's some things we're standing for and the gathering of the churches we're standing for. The church has become passive. We think we have to let people roll over us. No, we don't. You stand up for your convictions, but make sure your convictions are godly convictions. Stand up for your convictions, but you can stand up without attacking did you know you can give your political views without attacking the other person's political views? Because how are they going to listen to you when you talk about Jesus when you've attacked them? Someone told me the other day, I said, man, you don't ever post political views. I said, I post political views all the time. You just don't recognize them because I'm not calling the other side idiots when I do it. Matter of fact, I would say 50% of my posts are political views. I'm very strong in my political views. But guess what? I, I've learned that I can still love people that I don't agree with. I, I, I can say my view without attacking the other view. I hate marketing. That tells me what it's not. Saw a new church recently starting in our area, and they sent out a mailer, and I was reading the mailer, and it said, tired of a boring church, tired of traditional church, tired of having to get dressed up for church. And I thought, yes, yes, to everything you're saying. But I thought to myself, why are you attacking the other churches? Why do you got to tear down the other churches? Just say what you are. Say, man, are you looking for church that has uplifting music? Say, do you have church that says, come as you are? Or are you looking for a church that, whatever? See, we want people to know what we're against instead of what we're for. Hogwash. We've got to use our influence. Influence is a powerful thing. There's so many influencers out there. I've influenced more people through putting on festivals than I've influenced in the last five years through pastoring this church. Just being honest with you. I'm your pastor. You expect that of me. The vendor of mine whose husband gets sick and I reach out to him doesn't expect it of them. The wrestler out there who I send messages to, and they tell me, man, you know this has been going on for two months and you're the first person to reach out to me. Man, thank you so much. Hey, by the way, when's church start? I said, man, I wasn't trying to get you in church. I just wanted to reach out to you. Influence is powerful. But we're so caught up in ourselves that we don't influence people. So the question becomes, how do we influence people? We've got to care about people. Until you genuinely care about other people, you'll never have the right to have influence in your life. Someone asked me one time, they said, man, you are hard on people. How do you get away with it? Here's how I get away with it. I don't mean this in an arrogant way. I'm not justifying my actions. I'm just going to be real honest. I can speak truth hard into people's life because they know I care. I put a lot of deposits and in investing in their lives before I get hard, as you like to say on them. They know what I'm speaking to them might be hard, but I'm speaking the truth to them, not because I want to tear them down, 
but because I love them and want to see the best for them. People don't care what you know, do they know that you care? So we got to start caring about people if we want to leverage our influence. So how do we begin to care about people? I wrote down these three thoughts. I'm going to see how long I can ramble on them. First thing Jesus did was Jesus saw people. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and I can't get away from it because I think it's so important. As you read the Gospels, you'll see over and over and over and over again that in the midst of the chaos, in the midst of the craziness, in the midst of the large crowds, in the midst of the gathering, in the midst of people flocking to Jesus, in the midst of Jesus teaching literally tens of thousands of people at a time, Jesus always stopped and saw people. The woman who lost her son, we talked about him a couple of weeks ago. Jesus didn't see the dead son and bring him back to life. Jesus saw the mother. He saw the hurt in the mother's eyes. He saw the pain of the mother. He saw the heartbreak of the mother. He was moved by the mother and brought the son back to life. The men we talked about a couple of weeks ago who cut a hole in the roof and dropped their friend in front of Jesus, what did it say? It said when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw the faith of the friends, he brought the guy back. Jesus saw lepers. He saw disease. He saw blind. Guess what Jesus saw? Check it out, check it out, check it out. He saw those that everyone else overlooked. Because they got familiar seeing them. I've used this illustration a hundred million times. The first house I ever bought was a brand new home. The day I moved into that house, I slung open the door to put a couch in, and there was not a doorstop. And so the doorknob went through the sheetrock, brand new home. Guess what? I noticed that hole, and I didn't fix it. For about a month, every time I came in the house, I was like, man, I need to fix I need to get someone to come fix that hole. <laughs> I need to get someone to come fix that hole. It's a brand new house, and it's got a hole in it. And I never did it. And then guess what happened after about three months? Hardly ever noticed that hole. Every once in a while, I'd notice it. And after about a year, I never noticed the hole, Ever. I got used to it being there. I overlooked it. Guess what? I lived in that house for four years. I never thought about that hole again until it came time to sell the house. And a person put an offer in the house and had their list of, I guess they're called contingencies or whatever. And one of them was fix the hole behind the door. They'd never seen the hole. It was new to them. They noticed it. I got familiar with the hole and overlooked it. That's what we do with that family member that's always in a mess. We get used to their mess, so we're no longer moved by their mess. We've been burned by a junkie, so we don't want to help a junkie. We've seen our friend who's married to that stupid idiot that does stupid idiot things so many times that after a while when they call, you put the phone on the, on the dresser and walk away as they're talking, and you make them think that they're, you're, you're seeing them, but you're really not seeing them because you're overlooking it because you've got used to it. When there used to be the homeless back here, and there was, what, 20, 30 homeless people living behind the church, it would get to the point that I was familiar with the homeless. A new one would come along, and I wouldn't give it a second thought, hey, man, there's some wood you can go stand in. We feed people on this day, so talk to you later, knuckle bump, boom. I got familiar with them. 
They're not back there now. Now it's funny when a new homeless person comes along. Christine was running today, and she described a guy to me. She said, I mean, there's this guy down at the church, like barking at people and screaming at people and knocking on the glass. And um, he jumped out in front of a car, and I think something's wrong with him. I was like, oh, yes, yeah, a new homeless guy. I immediately knew who she was talking about because I'm not familiar with him anymore. There was something. I was like, I, I need to go see what I can do to help that guy or like get him arrested or something and, before he hurts somebody. Get him some help. We've got to see people. You know what the problem is for so many of us? We see problems. We see nuances. We see nuisance. We see someone taking our time, someone sucking us dry. We're so busy, caught up in our thing, that we no longer see people. I watched someone yesterday at Walmart jump down the little girl behind the uh, cash register. She was probably about 20 years old, giving her the riot act about masks. And I was thinking to myself, that girl makes $9 an hour doing what her boss told her to do. What point are you trying to prove? He saw his inconvenience. He saw his hobby horse. He saw his a-holism. But he didn't see a person. He didn't see a girl that, again, I don't know anything about her. Maybe she does with mom and dad. Maybe she's a single mom. Maybe she's married to a creep. I don't, I don't know. What, but whatever situation she was in, she was in a situation where she deemed herself needing to be at work. She deemed herself financially in bad enough shape that she's willing to go for $9 an hour and take abuse for some hillbilly. We don't see people. That girl has a child, I assume, has a child somewhere, or she has a husband somewhere, and if she doesn't have a child, doesn't have a husband, guess what? She's got a mom and dad, and that's their daughter, and you wouldn't want someone yelling at your daughter like that. But we don't see people anymore. Until you start seeing people, you don't get to influence people. There's power in seeing people. There's time, there's power in slowing down and putting ourselves in other people's shoes. I don't always like other people's shoes or shoes at all. But when I put myself in their perspective, when I begin to see things through their eyes, people send me messages every week. I don't know why, if they think I'm the priest or what, why they feel like they have to justify their actions to me. They don't. Hey, just want you to let you know why we're not coming to church, and here's why. Bam, 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 we're this and this. Awesome. You don't owe me an explanation. But it's interesting when they write those things because now I can see things through their point of view, and I'm like, cool, I get it. From, for them, I understand why they're not ready to come back to church, why they're thankful that we're broadcasting it online. My flesh wants everyone here. My flesh wants to start make because I, I'm a make fun of her. I got yelled at by my wife for doing it this morning because I'm real bad at making fun of other people. Don't like to make fun of me, you know, typical guy. But I want to start, I've gotten to the point now, it's been four weeks, I kind of want to start taking pot shots at people that aren't coming. Just little pot shots. But how insensitive would that be of me? Because I'm not seeing what they're seeing. I want to have influence in their life. I want to be the church that they feel comfortable to come back to when they're ready to come back. So we'll keep broadcasting. We'll keep doing the best job we can and putting out a 
pretty quality product, if I do say so myself, considering we're doing it from an iPhone. Because we're going to see people. You know, not only did Jesus see people, this is, this is key right here, Jesus heard people. Hmm. My name is Gary Lamb, and I have got really good over the years at seeing people. My name is Gary Lamb, and I have done a really poor job of hearing people. My wife loves to tell me it makes my skin crawl when she tells me this, but she's right. She said, you don't listen to hear. You listen to respond. I hate that. But she's right. We, we get so defensive or so whatever that we don't listen. We're looking where we can respond and justify our actions or justify why they're wrong. Instead of stepping back, don't be looking. I can see better today with this news. Don't be looking at Jack. Like you just looked at Jack and gave him a mm, talking about you. You straight up did that. The preacher saw it. Jack, you don't got to put up with that. Instead of just hearing people. You know what's amazing if you step back and you just listen? You'd see what's going on in people's lives. Stop. You'd hear what's going on in people's lives. And while you may not agree with their views on life, it might help you better understand why their views are their views. One of my favorite stories in the Bible is Bartimaeus. Anybody remember the story about Bartimaeus? Bartimaeus was a blind man. Funny story, when I was 19 years old, I went to work for a blind company that hung blinds in huge hospitals and stuff. And um, it was two men that owned the company. And I had worked there for about a week and a half, and God, they came to me and said, God told us you're to take over our company one day. I was like, oh, okay, cool. I don't even know what that means, but Awesome. I'm in the blind business, baby. God did not tell them that I didn't know how to work a screw gun. God did not tell them that I was petrified of heights, so when I'm on the 50th floor of a high-rise, leaned up against glass trying to hang blinds, I basically went into panic attacks and couldn't do it, so three weeks later, God had told them I wasn't the person for them. I said all that to say this. The name of the company was Bartimaeus the Blind Man. Yeah, Bartimaeus was a blind man. That was the name of the company. I've always remembered that. But the Bible talks about Bartimaeus. He's blind on the side of the road, and Jesus is coming through. And guess what Bartimaeus started to do? Scream out for Jesus. Call out for Jesus. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Over all the crowd, Bartimaeus is screaming out. And the Bible says, and Jesus heard him. Jesus was listening in the midst of the thousands of people. Sometimes we just got to stop and listen. And we live in a society today where there's more noise than ever. So much noise. Twitter noise and Instagram noise and TikTok noise and Snapchat noise and Facebook noise and Fox News noise and CNN noise and our friends' noise and our family members' noise and our kids' noise. It's just noise everywhere. And what happens in the midst of the noise is we stop listening. I've got some friends that I don't agree with on their stance on some things, and I've been trying to do a better job 
of listening to why their views are that. Now, here's the funny thing. Not by listening have one of them changed my opinion on my views. This wasn't the goal. But they've changed my heart towards them with their views. I have a friend who in every sense of the word is the biggest hypochondriac I've ever met in my life. But guess what? I can't change that about them. They live with a legit fear that they're going to die. I can tell them that they're stupid. I can tell them that they're dumb. I can tell them that they're overreacting. Or I can just see them and I can hear them and put myself in their shoes and realize they are genuinely fearful. And my heart goes out to them a little bit more. I've realized that even on both sides of the political issue, you know why most people had their stand where they stand politically? Almost every time, myself included. Because we're passionate about one or two issues. We've been shaped somehow by those one or two issues. And when you begin to hear someone's heart about those one or two issues you'll see why they take the stand that they stand. It doesn't mean you've got to agree with that stand, but they, when you hear them, there's power in hearing them. We, especially on social media, we listen to respond instead of listening to hear. My wife came to me this morning about something I said. It was like, I've told you. And I laughed and blew her off because I didn't want to be lectured this morning. The reality is if I'd have just breathed, listened to what she said, well, she was right. She's told me a hundred times not to do that. I could have looked at her and said, you are right. I'm so sorry. I wouldn't have had to go back 10 minutes later after her being mad for 10 minutes and giving me the evil look for 10 minutes or the cope scowl for 10 minutes and then have to go back and say, I'm sorry, you're right. I could have fixed it immediately. But I listened to respond and my response was, ha, ha, ha. Care. And I do care. I just don't like to be gotten on to. We don't listen. Jesus heard people. Can I tell you something? Normally, the issue that people are dealing with is not their issue, it's the byproduct of the issue. Most junkies are not junkies because they're addicted to a drug. They're junkies because something else has happened in their life and they're trying to cover it up with that. They're trying to mask the hurt and the pain with that. And they're not strong enough because no one's come along and influenced their life enough to help them get to the root of the issue. And when the root is rotten, the fruit is rotten. Bitter root, bitter fruit. Angry root, angry fruit conniving root conniving fruit when you stop and see people and you stop and hear people you can get to the root of the issue you know what else my wife I don't know why this is the Christine getting on to me today you know what else my wife tells me all the time she says I can't stand when you tell me how I feel about something because I'm bad about being like, I know how you feel about this. You feel this way. She's like, that's not how I feel at all if you shut up and listen. That's what you think is the reason I feel that way. But if you listen, 
You'd know why I feel that way. I should have let you preach this sermon. There's power in hearing. That might be why God wouldn't let me get any notes together this week. Christine was supposed to preach it. Man, you got to see people. Jesus heard people and laughed. I'm done. I don't think this sermon even made sense. Jesus made people feel valued. Jesus made people feel valued. Over and over and over throughout the Bible, the outcasts, the people that everyone overlooked, the people that weren't even allowed into the town, he made the lepers feel valued. He stopped in the midst of the craziness and took time for the blind. He took time in the midst of the chaos and dealt with the prostitute who got no respect during that time and no one paid attention to unless they wanted her services. He made time at the well to talk to the lady. What was it? She'd been married five times and was shacking up with another dude? Jesus made the lowest people of that society feel valued. It's one of the things that are so important to me when we're serving people and we're feeding people around here. I don't want to look down on them. I don't want to make them feel like they owe us something because we're serving them. I don't want them to make them think that we're doing something for them and they're less than us. I just want them to know, man, we value you. Sometimes you value people just by stopping and listening. I had a guy out here recently. He trapped me. There was no way I could get away. I, was, I had no choice but to talk with him. And I talked to him over here for about 10, 15 minutes, and he was telling me about his past and blah, 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 blah. And about halfway through, I said, man, I guess I'm stuck here. I guess I should see the guy. I began to listen to the guy. I had a good conversation with the guy. And as he walked away, I said, well, man, you have a great day. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And he looked at me. I'll never forget what he said. He said, man, thank you for making me feel like I matter. I took seven minutes to talk to the guy. That was it. But the guy probably ain't had anybody talk to him. No one see him. No one. He left there feeling valued. It's one of the reasons, if you ever notice, when we feed people and we clothe people, you might not even notice this. When I post about us doing that, I normally post pictures of our volunteers doing stuff and never post pictures of the people that we're helping. In my mind, that would be degrading to them. I don't need that post to happen to show them for people to give me hundreds of likes to make me feel better about myself. I want them to know we value them. People just want to feel valued. Men, your wife, you want to change your marriage? See her here and value her. Ladies, you want to change your husband? See him. Hear him. Value him. You want to change your friendships? See him. Hear him. Make him feel valued. Jesus made people feel valued. Matthew, the tax collector, the outcast that everyone thought was a crook. Hey, Matthew, man, have him coming over to your house tonight. We're doing dinner. You don't think Matthew felt valued? 
He invited all his friends to come see that Jesus was coming to his house. It's something so little as on Facebook. I know this sounds dumb, but that's how we communicate nowadays. It just is what it is. You can fight it all day long. It's the reality. Every once in a while, I just make it a point to go down and like every single, and it's got me in trouble before because I actually don't read them. Just bam, 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 bam. You know how many times people have sent me private messages? Thank you for liking my post. I didn't even know you kept up with me. I want to be like, I don't. <laughs> but they felt valued. Let me get back to that marriage thing. You know, man, let me tell you something. Most of you, that's why your marriage sucks. This ain't even a marriage sermon. It just hit me. You made your spouse feel more valued when you were dating than you do now that you're married. They no longer feel value from you. You no longer see them. You no longer hear them. You no longer make them feel value. And you wonder why you have no influence in your own home. That's why. We need to leverage the influence that we have with the people that God has brought in our life. I'm going to call them out because that's just what I do. Everybody here knows him and knows he's an idiot. I've been trying to get Chip August to come to church for almost four years now. I love him for all the stupid idiot stuff he does. Like I said, y'all all know him. Those of you that don't know him online, I'm sorry. I can't get him to church. But guess what? They got him to church. How long y'all been coming to church here? Two months? Two months. Chip wouldn't come to church for me. He wouldn't come to church for Christine. Chip wouldn't even come to church when I guilted him. When he came to one of the concerts that I had in the building, got into a fist fight with the guy, had to pay this guy all his refund. He cost me money. I didn't try to say, well, you can just come to church. Wouldn't come to church. But they leveraged their influence. And now he's coming through the doors of the church and the building hadn't fallen in yet. I tell this story, I haven't told this story in a long time actually. If you walk outside of this building and you look to the right, you'll see metal over here on this part of the wall. On the other side of that metal is the old IGA sign. We had no money when we started this church and metal was cheap. So we put metal over it. Before we put the metal over it, we had a service one time and we talked about influencing and leveraging our influence. And I said, who are the people you want to see come to church. I said, here's what I said. I said, I want you to go write down the vilest, most wicked, crookedest person you know and write them on that wall. I'm not trying to be funny here, but it's funny. My father-in-law has written on that wall five times. <laughs> he is. Five times. All those people tried to get him to come to church. He never would come to church. Phil May invited him to church because of Phil May's influence, he came to church. Not blowing smoke. There's no single person in the history of this church who's brought more people inside of this church as a first-time guest than him. Now, that being said, 
there's no single person who's run off more people from this church <laughs> single-handedly like him. But think about one person used their influence. Think of it all the times he's used his influence. I met my wife because Phil May used his influence. That's the power of influence. Phil and Rick had a relationship where they saw each other, they heard each other, and they valued each other. So when that invite came, that invite mattered. The other people who invited him didn't have that relationship. They knew him, but they didn't have those same three qualities, so their influence wasn't able to get him here. Dang, that's a good tie-in right there. That's the power of influence. Influence is powerful. And at the end of your life with that dash, who have you influenced? Who have you leveraged that God's brought into your life to point them to Jesus? Because, man, I'm telling you, Jesus is the answer. Just Jesus. Jesus plus nothing else. Just Jesus. I've always said something here. We don't do membership here at the church. Every once in a while, I get a wild hair at my butt, and we have what's called a partnership class. I don't think we've done it in about 18 months because I never kept up with who went through the partnership class because that means I'd have to do paperwork. But we call it a partnership because here's why. When you become a member of something, you expect value in that. When I become a member at the golf course, I, I expect to be able to go play golf. I'm a member of Sam's Club, and guess what that means? I expect to be able to go buy a huge thing of ketchup that I can't buy anywhere else. Because I'm a member at Sam's, I expect not to be able to buy one light bulb when my light bulb goes out. I expect to buy a 20-pack for the price of what four would cost me somewhere else. When we become a member somewhere, we think we get something. You lose all your rights here. So we're partners, and here's how it works. You use your influence to get your friends, family members, and coworkers here. And we'll partner together with you as a church to make sure we blow their mind on what church should be. They're going to come in and hear music they can relate to. Someone's going to hug their neck and make them feel welcome. They're going to realize real, real quickly, man, good Lord, man, I, I kind of fit in around here. They're going to hear a message that might not be the deepest message. It might not be the best preached message, but they're going to leave here with some practical applications from the Word of God on how they can apply it to their life. And they're going to realize through every message, because I'm going to reiterate it over time, it ain't me, it's Jesus. I'm decreasing, he's increasing. And they're going to eventually be one to Jesus because we partnered together. Because you used your influence. There's power in influence. Let's pray.